0: Welcome to Women Read Scripture. I'm Marianna Richardson.
1: And I'm Christine Thackeray.
2: And I'm Sarah Moss.
0: Sarah, it is so wonderful having you here. Do you want to say uh, some things about yourself?
2: Yeah. Um, I have three small children um, a five year old, someone who's about to turn one, or yeah, one, and then some, um, a little girl who's about to turn three. Um, I live up in Rexburg, Idaho. We're not actually going to BYU Idaho. We're just kind of there now. Um, I'm really lucky to have family, and 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 Christine's my mom, and she uh, lives up there next to me. And I'm just I'm excited to be here. It's the first um, time I've kind of really read into these verses of these chapters of the of the uh, New Testament since like seminary days. So.
0: <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Do you also want to say the connection with Women Read Scripture that you yeah. have?
2: Yeah, so we have a blog, and I have, I've been helping upload those um, blog posts and kind of doing some behind-the-scenes stuff. So I've been kind of a part and helping out uh, Women Read Scripture since almost the, the very beginning, uh, and so it's exciting to be in front of the camera now.
0: Well, we're so happy to have you here. And it's just wonderful, your family. Yes. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, and I'm your aunt, that's just right. so that everybody knows yep. there's also yep. a family <laughs> connection here, too. So it's great. It's great mm-hmm. having you I'm here. I'm excited. So today we're going to be talking about Peter. And I can't help but sing the song, you know, Peter, Peter, John, 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 Jude, Revelation. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. that's kind of where we are in the New mm-hmm. Testament. But I, I, just giving you a little background in terms of what's happening in Peter's life during this time. Basically, this was written around 63 to 64 AD, and this is not a happy time for the Christians. A matter of fact, Emperor <laughs> Nero doesn't like the Christians at this point, and they're going into a time of severe trial. And that's one of the things that Peter is telling the church. Realize that these epistles are to the church as a whole. And he's also kind of warning them about what's happening. But through that warning, he's also giving them hope. He's trying to say, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. And so he's kind of helping building them up helping them understand that the Lord is going to be by their side and to help them and to support them. A matter of fact, in the very beginning of the first epistle in Peter first 1, and we're going to read verses 6, 7, and 9, he says, "...wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations." So he's saying, look, you can rejoice, but you're going to have some temptations on the way. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, that would be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now this idea of the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold i wanted to ask what are your thoughts about that scripture
2: i don't know i i so as i was reading peter i just really i i think i would have a hard time as one of the early christian members of the saints he's just not and maybe i've been spoiled with president nelson but president nelson is so like love and kindness and joy based that hearing that the trial of your faith is much, or being much more precious to gold. I'm like, yeah, but it's hard. I don't know. I, I feel like he he often will be um, kind of, just kind of straight black and white and say, you're going to go through hard times. There's going to be trials. And I don't think he um, gives a lot of ideas for joy in the meantime. All oh. of it's like, well, no, because he, he says, oh, at He says, greatly the end. rejoice. Well, at, at, wait, after, after, your, after your salvation. Salvation doesn't come <laughs> in this life. I wish it did. Um, mm-hmm. But he, I don't know. There's, I feel like there's a lot of uh, kind of perspective that he requires. A lot of his joys and his promises are all end of the line based. It's all like, well, you are going through this hard time because this is the reason. And so it's really, a lot of it is based on the reason for the trials, which is interesting because you go to, like, Nelson, and Nelson had a talk called Joy and Spiritual Survival, and he says, "...life is filled with detours and dead ends, trials and challenges of every kind. Each of us has likely had times when distress, anguish, and despair almost consumed us, yet we are here to have joy." Yes the answer is a resounding yes but how is it possible and then he goes on to tell us how joy is possible in our life and so it's interesting to see like peter just say well the the end is the joy like your joy is supposed to come from knowing what you're you're doing it with a purpose and i just it took me a long time or like i had to read these these verses a long time and mull over them repeatedly to be like oh,
0: peter you're so mean you're well so mean. but i do think that peter is in prison that's and true. That's Nero true. has not been a, a kind ruler. We also know that in 2nd Peter, we have this interesting thing that is, you know, Peter knows that his end is coming. So if we go to 2nd Peter chapter 1 and look at verses 13 through 14, he says, "Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance." So that is, you know, what he's trying to do is to help them stay faithful. And then he says, knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. So he was shown the fact that this was coming to the end Mm -hmm. and that he needed to remind the saints of, you know, stay true, stay firm, your joy will happen in Mm -hmm. the next life. You don't need to worry about that,
2: yeah. and I know also the saints they were not I mean, they they went through not just like physical trials, but a lot of trials of their faith. A lot of them weren't being as steadfast as they really should have been. and and so it it kind of makes sense that he's he's kind of like shape up. There's a lot of words like, you're going to be trials. This is, I guess. When you think of our life right now, a lot of us are going through trials but we're not getting openly persecuted and because of that we're not more openly falling away. And so we don't need kind of that hard more banging of the gavel turnaround. Whereas
1: the people I don't know. I think sometimes the sudden the subtle trials of our faith can be more Mm, damning. That's true. Can be more difficult. Because when you see those external trials and you stand up against them. That's true. But when it's subtle and comes in. But this is my issue, and you may think I'm totally crazy already. Um, when it says, the trial of your faith being more precious than of gold that perisheth, um, though it be tried by fire. And I think that it's also talking about our faith is more precious than gold as it's mm-hmm. tried that the trial, because I think what he's talking about being more precious than gold that doesn't perish, is our faith becomes stronger as it's tried. And whether it's tried by external, very loud persecutions, or whether it's tried by, you know, kind of the quiet things we get today, where you have friends that don't quite see eye to eye, so you find that you want to adjust more to their views. Whichever trial that is, that it does make you pull back and say, I'm pulling away. I need to get my feet on the ground and get more based in Christ. Or when you say your prayer and you feel like the roof is there and you're like, okay, what am I doing that's not letting it be open? And then you go back and look and find little tiny things that just aren't right. Ooh, yeah. this week was that for me. Because I was doing so many things and I was like, why are my prayers getting answered? And I was like, anyway, you, you know what change. he said, do your dishes. Yeah. <laughs> just <kidding. laughs> Metaphorically.
0: I do think think this, though it be tried with fire, when we have fire and gold, when gold is put into the fire, there's a purification. Right, it gets better. It gets better. And And so does our faith. Exactly. And I think that's another thing that he talks about. I did want to also talk for a moment about um, Joseph Smith and Peter, specifically when we talk about... Peter, the two epistles, and the Joseph Smith translation. There are some really significant changes that Joseph Smith did in terms of what happens here in these two epistles. And all I'm going to do is I'm going to I challenge everyone to go back and look at the Joseph Smith translation footnotes because some of them are extremely significant. I'm going to focus on the Joseph Smith translation changes that are happening in 1 Peter chapter 4. And then I want us to think about what would be the relationship between Joseph Smith and Peter. But if we go to 1 Peter chapter 4, and I'm going to start with just the, the very first verse here. He says, "...for as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Now, sometimes people have taken the end of this verse as meaning that the for he meaning the Savior that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Kind of the connotation is that the Savior sinned, Mm -hmm. but if you look at what Joseph Smith wrote. He changes it, so there's no no way that you can think that. He says, For you who have suffered in the flesh, so meaning us that okay. have suffered, should cease from sin, that you no longer the rest of your time in the flesh should live to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. So I love that change because there's just no question who's talking about who's who's having this sin problem it's not the savior it's us the next one i want to notice is in verse 6 of chapter 4 it says for for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead that they might be judged according to the men, to men in the flesh but live according to God in the spirit now this is one that we use a lot in in our church but also, it's very much misunderstood by a lot of others, New Testament scholars. But if you look at the Joseph Smith translation, he says, "Because of this," and if and if you look, it's this idea of the ready to judge the quick and the dead. So, because of the judgment, mm-hmm. is the gospel preached to them who are dead? So it's because making this a just judgment, that they are preached the gospel after they're dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live in the spirit according to the will of God. So I I love that change because it
1: really helps us understand baptism for the dead. Which makes me giggle because... I don't think it changes what I considered the meaning. It just says it in a different way. Right. But the other way you could misconstrue if you were really trying to, but there'd have to be intention because they seem very similar, but it does clarify.
0: And and that's kind of what Joseph Smith is doing is clarifying right. some of these points so that we can't, you know, make those right. those wrong choices in terms of how we look at these mm-hmm. scriptures. Verse 8, this is the most interesting one for me in terms of the change that Joseph Smith makes. <laughs> he says, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins.
1: This makes but me so sad. I he wish changes, he change it.
0: For he charity preventeth it. a multitude of so sins. So the
1: idea is that before you could sin all you wanted, but if you did good yeah, things, charity, it covered it up. Yeah. Right. Like like it was a balance and it was even, but it's like no. If you truly have, which is the love of God in your heart, then you won't make those choices because you love God and you don't want to lose it. Yeah. And so it's a whole different meaning.
2: I like the other one better. It seems more. It's more, (laughs) not right. This charity also seems more of just like the giving, just giving of charity. Whereas this one's really the action. I know
1: and And the heart. Yeah,
2: and and that and that and that meaning behind your actions. Wow. So
0: the reason why I wanted to show just that was just one chapter in terms of all the changes that Joseph Smith made to help us understand Peter better. Mm -hmm. And so as I was contemplating this idea of Peter and the relationship that Joseph Smith must have felt for Peter, do you have any thoughts? I know I had some thoughts as I was reading Peter at this time.
1: Well, I just have to say that Peter has a very different personality than Joseph Smith. I feel like Joseph Smith was more like um, President Nelson and President Uchtdorf is more heart-based. And Peter is very external, very black and white. So it is interesting that sometimes those opposites can be good, you know, have good friendships because they balance each other. But it is funny because they are such different human beings. They're such different spirits.
2: But, I mean, it also seems like Peter would be the type of person who would come to Joseph Smith and be like, okay, we need to talk about my books. There is something wrong. And we need to fix it. And we need to fix it. And so I do think that there's also the type of, I could see that I could see that having that He wants it just right. He wants it just right. (laughs) And Joseph Smith is like, oh, wow, interesting. I I can can change see All of me, not just my seat. I know. Everything right. Joseph Smith didn't grow up reading the Book of Mormon. I feel like the Book of Mormon prophets are a lot more... Like almost superheroes today, like you have Nephi fighting. <laughs> Maybe it's the little sword. superhero cards you get of yeah, them, <laughs> exactly. But and but Joseph Smith didn't grow up looking up to those. Joseph Smith's prophets were were the, was the was the Bible and the New Testament, in Peter. Right. And so, yeah, I'm sure he looked up to Peter for leading the church after after Christ, and especially after he met Christ and and kind of knew. And he like, we've talked we talked that he was starting a dispensation, and so. I'm sure he looked up to Peter Peter a lot. Peter started. Because I know Joseph Smith had a whole bunch of uh, early saints Mm -hmm. kind of making weird choices. Yes, that's true, he did. How did you handle
0: this? (laughs) (laughs) The other thing that I was thinking a lot about was that we know that they met each other. Mm -hmm. We know that they had, uh, you know, definite, he was the one, Peter was the one that actually ordained Joseph Smith to the priesthood, the Melchizedek Priesthood, Mm -hmm. and restored keys and as we think about that relationship i thought a lot as i was reading first and second peter about how this beginning of a dispensation how joseph smith would have read these epistles mm. i think oh, very much okay. in earnest
1: i know this yeah. is speculation but it's fascinating to me that we don't have a record of when that melchizedek priesthood was restored we so we don't have a date we also that. don't have an exact like, record of what happened. We just like know that witness. Peter James... We just know what but happened. We didn't... You think that unlike a lot of things, he would have given him that blessing after the setting apart. And so there would have been oh, a period of time to talk. And often before giving blessings, your husband's a patriarch, yeah. you sit and you have that discussion with him. And so there may have been a That's sweet conversation... between the prophet and peter before that moment so i'd never thought of that before well and peter was so
0: concerned about the saints and i think about the prophet joseph smith having that same fervent Mm -hmm. desire that the saints stayed faithful and remained faithful and as you know we talk about in the doctrine and covenants that definitely was a trial was a problem yeah. in terms of those early saints having the same kind of problems with staying faithful in the church. So but that is one of the main trials and sufferings that mm-hmm. he had to go through.
1: Yeah.
0: So let's talk a little bit about this idea of the dead too, that we also kind of discussed here.
1: Well um and we had just mentioned it in in chapter three Uh, In verse um, 18, it talks about um, the first one. And um, let me make sure I've got it. Oh, it's this page. Um, For Christ has also suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, Mm -hmm. that he might bring us to God, um, being put to death in the flesh and being quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. And then um, the one you read, "For, for this cause... Was the gospel preached unto them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to men in the spirit. And you had read the Joseph Smith translation, right. which to me didn't change the meaning a lot because of the way I conceive it. But it is um, fascinating to me that this scripture, which we use in our missionary discussions mm-hmm. and um, and is so clear, you you look at that and you think, how can people not understand the plan of salvation that those people that have not you know had a chance to hear the truth in in their mortal life but have still lived a good life will have the ability to listen and kind of understand the truth in its fullness and decide whether or not to accept or reject and we've been taught in that kind of idea but it really is alien to a lot of people who believe in Christ and these verses don't hold a lot of meaning for them more to us they're so powerful i, mean so I did want so to point much. out
0: verse 20 we have a really good joseph smith translation change too okay why don't you tell it and and i think that that's powerful too because i think when we read verse 20 which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of god waited in the days of noah we get this feeling like every wherefore few that is eight souls were saved by water that okay, everybody was, every single other person was bad. But in here, in 1 Peter 3.20, he says, some of whom were disobedient in the days of Noah, while the long-suffering of God waited. And for me, that's significant because, you know, I've often thought about that and thought, okay, was every single person? I'm sure that there was glimmers of good in some of them, and and I I just think that's really interesting that there's that little bit of right. qualification. But
1: I also think that some of them were, but they didn't have the they truth. They didn't have the truth. They exactly. didn't have the ability to get it. And when exactly. you only when it becomes that small and is drying up, and people are pushing it away and persecuting it. Then you get people in corners that don't have the ability to know the truth, exactly, and they get so injured. So that idea of, yeah. of anyway, it's so beautiful. But the part that I loved about this was it was these scriptures that created 138. And so um, Joseph F. Smith said uh, wrote the following, and he said, On the 3rd of October in the year 1918, I sat in my room pondering over the scriptures, I opened the Bible and read the third and fourth chapters of the first epistle of Peter. And as I read, I was greatly impressed more than I'd ever been before with the following passages. And then they read the, ones, the verses we've just read before um, Christ has also suffered once for sin. And then he says, as I pondered these things, which are written, the eyes of my understanding were opened and the spirit of the Lord rested upon me. And I saw the hosts of the dead both small and great. And then we get the rest of DNC 138. And it's interesting because when's the last time you thought about DNC 138? It's been a while, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. So when I opened it up, I was surprised because I hadn't read it in so long. And it goes on and it talks about him actually seeing Christ come and preach to the um, spirits that had died. And he contrasts the people in Jerusalem that Christ had taught, and the the Holy Land, and how few of them had listened. But when he goes to the other side of the veil, he's surrounded by people that have been waiting and are so excited. So uh, my question is that as you see this pondering of the scriptures, and then this opening of truth, can you think of another example where the same thing happened? This is an easy, easy question. I... (laughs) Well, I love it when you say easy, easy <laughs> yeah, question. Like, okay, and both of us are like. Well, okay. I was thinking of Joseph Smith and the very course, first, the first oh, restoration. I was yes, like, right. I
2: was thinking, like, what book of what book of scripture was from pondering? Oh, but you're uh, just saying the first vision, I guess. Right, because history. he reads,
1: and then never was more, um, you know, like that. Never did a scripture come to the heart of, with what is it, the heart of man with more power than this did at this time to mine. I pondered on it again and again. And so it's it's so fascinating, that idea that scriptures can really touch our hearts. So have you guys had a scripture that really spoke to you, that's changed kind of the direction that you've gone or that really woke you up?
0: You know, when we were getting ready to serve in Sao Paulo, um, to be perfectly honest, I was so overwhelmed. So many things happened in, in our life just before we left. I felt like Satan was really doing everything in that um, first our, our mother died three weeks before I was going to leave unexpectedly. And then my husband had cancer and had to have surgery just Sorry. before we left. And then we had sold our house, but then it just as we were leaving, it wasn't sold. And our house was you know, left empty for the whole three years we were gone. So all these things happened. And then because of that, and my 12 children, getting them all ready to go, I was not able to study Portuguese. And I had never learned Portuguese before. And I really wanted to be able to speak in that language. And so I can remember just feeling this concern? Am I able to do what the Lord wants me to do? And I was reading in the Doctrine and Covenants, especially the wonderful sections where he talks to missionaries. And the one verse that just helped me so much was this idea that angels will be round about you
1: oh your rearward and your forward
0: I just needed that you know as I looked forward to go to Sao Paulo and to be perfectly honest I did feel those angels around me but I held true to that understanding and I had confidence in that verse that the Lord would be there and help me and angels would help me because I needed their help when you know before we left that is beautiful
2: can we just talk about how exhausting it is to ponder on scriptures like this, though? Because I just want to say, so I actually just had this thought um, two nights ago while we were preparing for this. And I was thinking about this as I was going to sleep. And I was like, I feel like if I continue thinking about this, these first Peters, I might have a vision-like dream. But then I was <laughs> like, I'm going to wake up so tired. Like, I really honestly felt like if I were to continue pondering... something amazing would happen. And I'm not going to lie. I was like, it's so late. It's like (laughs) 2 o'clock in the morning. I need to go to bed. And so I was like, I had to switch how I was thinking. Um, But I honestly think we don't get very many scriptures that come based on like someone pondering this. And I think it's honestly hard um, to have that kind of focus to get this much scripture out. But the one scripture I thought of um, was the charity never faileth. And I've been in Relief Society, I've been like a Relief Society teacher, and I was in a YSA ward, a Relief Society president. And at those times, I really thought like, oh, I'm going to fail. And so I definitely, that's one that whenever I'm tired or getting overwhelmed with my three young children, my mind often goes back to, well, charity never faileth. Oh, that's so interesting because help me because I have never thought in terms.
1: No, you do. I mean, as you raise and love your children, yeah. but it is just funny to me that I've never thought of charity never failing about I'll never fail if I have charity. Mm-hmm. I've always thought that charity never fails, but that is such oh, a interesting as cute well, line. And here's the
2: thing is it's like, oh, sometimes it does fail, but it fails with purpose. So oh, wow. even if what I don't do it does work, right. it doesn't succeed. Right. If it's with charity, something good. Wow. Wow, that's
1: amazing. So anyway, I was going to say that um, I I do know that pondering on the scriptures, you know, sometimes where you are, a certain scripture will just change everything in your life. And um, for me, I know that um, when I was preparing a long time ago for my patriarchal blessing, that one scripture where the Lord said, um, I will encircle you about in the arms of my love. And I wanted so badly to have that feeling of just being hugged by the Lord. And um, it was just cute because then in my patriarchal blessing, something very similar was written that um, the Lord would put his arms around me and guide me in paths of righteousness, which isn't a hug. It's like saying, you have to come with me. (laughs) But it still was very similar, and it did change my heart. And throughout my life, I remember that. And when I feel like I'm being dragged somewhere, I'm like, oh, "Okay, it's by the Lord. I understand He's hugging me with a purpose. It's often with in a the direction temple,
2: too." I remember, when oh. burst out in tears. Oh, oh, yes, things.
1: that was for Sarah's birth. Actually, <laughs> yeah. I thought I was done having children. I went to the temple and burst out in tears, and my friend said, what is wrong? And I said, I have to have another baby. And And it was Sarah. (laughs) I'm certainly glad. So that's true. That's true. He does put his arms around you. But um, anyway, so this gift of pondering is part of this, but also the great gift of the plan of salvation Mm -hmm. and temple work so that everybody can progress. So it's not just those people that have had the gift of having... In their life, the gospel, but also that they, um, throughout our lives, that it will be fair for everybody. And this mortal life then becomes open, and Christ is truly the Savior of all the world. All happens within this grace.
0: Which is so beautiful. Well, I know another thought that I had too was this idea of how do we become that person that brings us to salvation? How do we develop that divine nature? And, of course, Peter was also very concerned about that, and especially for these saints, that he knew he was going to leave. He wanted them to understand what they needed to do to come back to Christ and to follow him. So let's turn to 2 Nephi, because here in 2 Nephi, he talks very specifically about what they had to do. And I'm switching from my... Doctrine and Covenants to hear. So we're going to 2 Peter. Sorry, 2 Peter, not 2 Nephi. Oh, um, I was ready um, to I go to 2 Nephi! I'm I know, I'm like, so sorry, 2 Peter, okay. <laughs> but I love Nephi too. I love Second Nephi as well, um, but 2 Peter. And I'm going to just read verses 3 and 4. And the reason why I'm doing these two verses too is Elder Bednar gave an amazing general conference talk just based on these two verses. And this is what Peter said. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue... Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So we talk a lot about the natural man versus our divine nature. And there obviously is this war within every single one of us between those two things. Mm-hmm. And so what are some of the great and precious promises that you hold on to in order to be able to kind of give you that uh, victory over the na- natural man? I know all of us need a promise to help us be victorious. Yeah.
2: So I had just talked about how I hold on to that charity. I hold on to charity never faileth. Um, I really hold on to all the promises of peace. I, I Again, three small children... Five and under, I don't feel peace a lot. Um, but as I was listening to you now, I actually as I was thinking about my children, realized the promises I hold on to the most are the ones in my patriarchal blessing when you brought up your patriarchal blessing. Because it's like those are my individual. But your promises. promises are
1: like unreally awesome. Like I don't but know, did you pay your patriarch before he gave you the blessing? Oh, I don't <laughs> I
2: know. Know. But here's the thing is they all are like most promise all like all of God's promises, they're all like qualifying you have to Mm -hmm. qualify for them and it is not easy to qualify for my Patreon blessing call promises that's true that's true if i do i mean those are amazing promises they are amazing promises like one of them is that i will have a um like a, a spiritual shield protecting my house and i'm like oh and actually i think about that often in in tv shows and media that i choose to bring into my home i'm like is this helping my shield be there like I have to, I have to keep oh, it there. That. But yeah, I I definitely think about my patriarchal promises a lot, It is amazing. how I and how I live my life.
1: That is so interesting. And you know, we were talking before about how some promises speak to your heart and you mm-hmm. really want them, and other promises you're like, oh, nice promise, but not for me. Like, like I'll I'll put it in my pocket, oh, but I don't lot. really. Right. Yeah, it'll be okay, but it's not one that I'm living by. What you think? But um, I like was that. thinking about when you said that, like. What is the promise that I care the most about? Mm-hmm. And as a child, we used to go to the movies together. And I often would get stuck on the end, sitting next to a stranger. And it was so uncomfortable. And I would try so hard to get in the middle. So I'd be just like encouched with love. family, And family. And feel just safe. And I do have to say, for me, that gift of being just surrounded by family is so powerful, which is the gift of the gospel, Excellent. is being right. And, and I do, I just know that feeling. And I know the other, both um, in choices I've made and in, um, you know, when you live and you're just in the center. And it's cute because it's kind of that shield yeah. of protection that, that you love. So for me, that's a big promise, but it's being in that center of the road, not on the edge.
0: Well, and Peter's message, Elder Bednar says, will help us understand, first of all, our divine identity, which enables us to understand that we truly do have a divine nature. I think all too often, now that we're in this world, we think, oh, the natural man is who I am. And yet Peter is saying the opposite. He said, who you really are is your divine nature, not your worldly
1: nature. Wow. Oh, can I just have to say this. So it's so cute. Driving home, one of the kids from seminary one day, he said to me, "I said, how are you liking, you know, like classes and how's it going?" And he's like, "I hate that I have to pretend I'm not myself." And it was like, "Dude, there's a part of yourself that like is here. Divine. You can be funny. You can be wild. You can be noisy. All those things work. It's just within the bounds of of what God said, but." But he, I, I left, and he really believed that who he was was not within the bounds of the gospel. And I'm like, that's what he's saying, Right? is it is, that there's a part of you that's right there, and you need to find that part. And then he also goes
0: on to say that Peter, in terms of these verses helps us understand that the importance all, each one of us have to have that spiritual rebirth, mm-hmm. that we do Ooh. have to acknowledge that I am in this telestial world, and so I need to acknowledge that divine nature and actually have this spiritual rebirth that enables me to acknowledge that that is who I want to become. Mm-hmm. That is who I want to oh. become.
2: Yes, can I just say, when you say all of people's quirks as part of their divine nature, I think it's that they can fall in line with divine nature because in in the temple it even talks you need to be wary of some things and some people are are normally loud and boisterous and I think through this rebirth it's like you spend your entire life figuring out how your innate personality falls in line with your divine mission and divine nature right and how they like meld together happily Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And
1: it's not like pretzeling yourself, and you're, but yeah. it's finding how your personality becomes and finding something which, righteous. Which
2: parts aren't like need which to part, be pruned? Yes, exactly. Because I do think everyone everyone can use pruning. Oh,
1: okay.
2: Can use pruning. <laughs> so. But we're all going to be individual beautiful trees, right? It's not, and that's something I think people think: oh, everyone is going to be like president nelson and you're like no. peter probably yeah. peter and nelson president nelson both amazing wonderful leaders of our church will and not prophets, look like the same right. truth oh uh, yeah both prophets both all these things they're not going to look the same they're not going to be the same person we're still right. going to enjoy right. having different conversations with them and so i think a lot of people yeah confuse that natural man and divine nature and like oh well all of my personality is who i naturally am and you're like no you're going to mm-hmm. take it with you Right. Right. No,
0: so I, I have a painting in my house that actually our brother painted oh, right. for me. And what I wanted him to do was to, to paint something that showed the plan of salvation, but in a very symbolic way. And one of the parts of the painting is a rock wall. And as I was looking at this rock wall, I, I talked to Charles about it, and I noticed that every single rock in that rock wall was different. And he said, I did that on purpose. There were not two rocks that are the same, because he said, I really believe that we all become, and we're going to talk about lively stones as we talk about what Peter says, but we are each different. There's no two rocks that are the same. We're all, we're all different. Um, the other thing that Elder Bednar points out, too, is that we have to remember these promises that we have made but also that the Lord has made to us. We need to remember both. And the way we do that, which I think is really important, is through Sabbath day, taking the sacrament, and by regular attendance to the temple. And those are the two that really help us to remember, but also to help us be true and faithful. But I did want to talk a little bit about the pattern that basically Peter talks about. So if we look at verses five through eight, Peter gives us this pattern that we must do to be able to truly have that divine nature. And he, he says, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. So we first have to be diligent in our faith, and then faith, virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you look at that, he's, he's saying that we have to be diligent in our faith, virtuous, knowledgeable, temperate, patient, godly, Brotherly kindness and charity. And it's almost like he's saying this, these are the steps, you know, these are the the steps for us to gain that, you know, the ultimate goal is to charity never faileth. Yeah. That that becomes a part of who we are. Mm -hmm. But along the way, we also have to have these other qualities. So I want to ask you, do you think that this is, you know, like stepping stones, or can we have patience do we do we have to have temperance before patience or are these just all qualities that we we need to acquire to have that divine nature or is there some kind of a sequential thing that he's telling
1: us i
2: think it's like building like a sand mountain because it's not you don't complete the faith first before you can start adding kind of the next layer of sand but then as like if your bottom kind of arose, at your faith layer erodes you, you have to have add smaller. to the faith you even though you're on the oh, next I love one, one and, and then and then you can like i might have a little bit of godliness in me and i might have a little bit of brotherly kindness and so i can have a little bit of charity but i charity but i it, need to continually
1: So her little sand tower. So add, <laughs> add, yeah, add. Yeah, I actually, originally when she was saying sand, I was like, sand is like the other side, but the truth is we're such natural men yeah. that you have this attrition that's constantly happening. Yeah. So you can't just say, okay, I'm working on faith, and now I'm going to work on virtue. Also,
2: your life doesn't work like that. Like I can't right. spend a year of my life just working on faith and not. Right, like, but
1: I actually think they, the opposites kind of feed each other that as you get filled with faith and feel close to the Lord, you're going to get tempted in some way to walk outside the path. Mm -hmm. And so you really have to keep that line of virtue where Mm -hmm. these are lines I never cross so that your faith can continue to grow. And, And there really is, when you start turning toward the Lord, you immediately have temptations of whatever kind. And that's what virtue is, is keeping out... bad so that you can keep the good. And so if you go through each one of them, you see that there is um, an idea that when you're keeping things out, sometimes part of what you want to keep out is really learning and understanding other things. Because it's easy to keep this like little innocent faith. But when you start learning more, then it becomes more complicated. And you're like, wait, can I go back to baby faith? So there is a connection. And then when you start learning This is the one that got me to knowledge temperance because you have to choose, okay, I can't learn everything. I only have so much time. I actually have to serve and do other things. And so that temperance idea of balance, which I am just not, I'm the least temperate person you ever met. And that's the one I struggle. So my- but my sand is really wet in temperance.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think for the knowledge you also have to be wary about like how oh, no. they only allow the missionaries to read a certain amount of books because mm-hmm. sometimes Which you can is temperance. be Sometimes temperance you can be like media. oh I'm just going to lo- I'm going to learn knowledge but you can get into right. you can get to And that's where temperance is choosing well. Oh, exactly.
1: So there is such a and then with temperance you have patience and you're like but I really want that one and it's like not yet. The Lord is going to tell you you can but not yet. And then godliness, which is truly being like God, is truly like, and then that's bigger because then you're at a... You know, like other areas of your life. And then you're working so hard on yourself to be godly, mm-hmm. you forget other people. And so then it's brotherly kindness, and that brotherly kindness leads to charity. Because charity. charity is that greater, whereas it's the inside, not the outside. Whereas I think brotherly kindness is the outside. So they really make are connected. It till you make
2: it. Yes. And because, it's okay
1: yeah. to fake it till you make it because it leads to charity. It leads to the heart. Right. I agree. And so I do think they're very connected, but I think like you, you don't get the ability to do them in a single chain. You have to constantly, like yeah. yeah. if one falls apart. Yeah. And and some lines for each of us and our personalities are dribbling away faster than other lines. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: and the other thing that I found was really interesting was at the very end, Peter, you know, he's giving this, this wonderful um, testimony mm-hmm. to these early saints saying, Look, this is what you need to do. I'm and right after this is when he says, "Look, I'm I'm going to die yeah. really soon." And so I'm giving you these these final steps for how you're going to gain the divine nature so you can return to Jesus Christ where I want to be there with you. But he gives these promises and if you look at verse 10 through 11, I wanted to read these and then read the promise that Elder Bednar gave at the Ooh. end of his talk and As I read these, I want you to to kind of think about what are some of the similarities between these two. So this is what Peter says at the end of these beautiful words. He says, Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ." So that's Peter's ending to this beautiful, these beautiful words, and this is Elder Bednar when he testifies. As we are wise and invite the Holy Spirit to be our guide, I promise he will teach us what is true. He will testify of Christ and light our minds with heaven's view as we strive to fulfill our eternal destiny and become partakers of the divine nature. I bear my witness... That the exceeding great and precious promises associated with our ordinances and covenants are sure. So, what do you see as some of the similarities between this prophet of Peter at the end of his life, but also what Elder Bednar is promising us today?
1: Well, mind blown, because when I was on my mission and with a lot of people, one of the questions that I always ask you is Do you know if you're saved? And you've and you had that question. And even when we worked at Hershey School, they'd say, Because you don't know you're saved, and he doesn't say, I've I've always read this wrong, because in verse 10, it says, Make your calling and election sure. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say your calling and election made sure, like don't have the covenant done, but know that there's a space for you. Like you should have that brightness of hope. Mm-hmm. You should have that knowledge of your divine nature that you fit, that it's it's part of who you are. It's part of the very essence of your being, fits within the Lord's plan. And with that hope, I do know. I do know that I still struggle, but I do know. And I feel that confidence when I go to the temple. I know if I'm worthy to enter. And if I'm worthy to enter his presence through the temple, I'll be worthy to enter his presence at the end of my life. And so I do love that because I've always felt like you're striving for the second comforter. You're striving, but I think that we can have our calling election sure in our hearts even if it hasn't been made sure through that ordinance. Do mm-hmm. you think I'm crazy? No, I don't
2: think you're crazy. <laughs> I was just saying I really loved how he said, what, did he say take part in the divine nature? He said, what was his exact words in that? So which know.
0: one, Peter or uh, Elder Bednar. 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 He says, become partakers. Become partakers. Partakers of the divine nature.
2: I think that is so interesting because I don't know if I've ever thought of divine nature that way. As divine nature is... To partake? Yeah, to partake because it's always been like, oh, well, I just...
1: Like my divine nature. my divine nature. But it's the divine nature and you're taking part of it in the grace. I I think it
2: kind of is is when we're talking about being born again, when we're becoming kind of begotten of the Christ, we're... We're taking his divine nature. That's why oh. we have his name on it. And so I don't know. I just and so never, we become, wow. I've always is, had, I've always had kind that. of a more selfish version of, or vision of divine nature. So and maybe you're
1: that's right. That's part of becoming that new creature. Yeah. Mm-hmm, is, and, and, and having the natural men kind of figure out how they connect together. Yeah. Because they will. <laughs> and we have to have faith mm-hmm. that they will, you yeah. know, as we struggle.
0: Well, and this idea of the rock you know this foundation yeah. and i know that that peter as the rock the savior talked about that it's interesting to see
1: how peter continues that metaphor in these two epistles well it was cute cuz when i originally had pulled this up and this is in first peter and we're back to um first peter uh chapter 2 and it's verses 5 through 10 and um it is so cute because when I was reading this the first time, I um, I haven't marked from years ago, so it it is just cute because I loved this metaphor and I was so impressed because I feel like Peter is black and white. He doesn't use a lot of depth and metaphor, but suddenly he has this beautiful, cute little metaphor of the lively stone's. And it says, ye are as lively stones or living stones, and are built up um, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices. And I love spiritual sacrifices as opposed mm-hmm. to animal sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore, also does contain in the scriptures, behold, um he says, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious." And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. And then he goes back and talks in verse 9. Oh, no, this is the one I wanted, um, is verse 8. But um, if you're not faithful, it's a stone a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at his words. And so it was so interesting to think of us as lively stones. Christ is the chief cornerstone. But then when we're not faithful, then we he becomes, instead of a cornerstone, he becomes a stumbling block. And it really is true that you see that. But when I first read it, I was um, surprised because I was like it was Isaiah. So he's like just adding to Isaiah. So he took the the phrase from Isaiah about the stones, Mm -hmm. and then he put his little, like, beginning that's unique, and I was like, "The truth is, it's not really Peter the Lively knows, Stones. He knows,
2: how to, he knows how to do simile. He can do like the, we are like a Lively <laughs> Stones, and then he needs to use Isaiah's metaphor. <laughs> but he gets it. He's just... He just adds he his just own adds little his piece. Own. Yeah, he's not as eloquent. So,
1: right, right. But I did love the Lively Stones, that we are Lively Stones, and I thought of um at, when we talked about um, C.S. Lewis and how the Lord is building... Um, you know creating us into a house and that is a great metaphor that we're becoming you know part of a castle but we're not alone and so the difference between us being part of the stones of a house that we're just one stone or one piece, and we're all connected, and that's how the glory of the Lord works. It doesn't work with us individually being a house, oh, but we're all part of that house together.
0: I do want to come back to your initial comment about Peter. I want you to know I love these epistles, and <laughs> oh, they're beautiful. The, the fact the fact that that we keep on talking a little bit about the the black and white and how he's not right. is I, I think his writing is beautiful. a it matter of fact, Joseph beautiful. Smith actually makes the comment that he loves the words of Peter, going back to this connection between these two prophets. And so I do think that you're right, different po- prophets will write differently, and they'll, they'll speak to us in different ways. Right. But I think we need to be careful not to compare in terms of what's
1: better than another right. other than the fact well, that it I'm might I'm just saying that I like the poetry more and then to see this piece of poetry and then go oh he got it from Isaiah was a surprise that's all i was saying oh, but no, i right. do love peter but he doesn't talk in poetry he is a black and white engineer mind and it's beautiful because his words are so plain and clear yeah, yeah. and okay. so for a lot of people they find great joy in them and i do too exactly. but it was just cute because this was so poetic Which was so unlike him. But I loved you talking about the painting with the wall, how we're each different, because that is what he's saying with the lively stone. I agree. But I then love the idea of this foundation that becomes then a stumbling stone if we're not on it. Mm -hmm. And so I thought again of um, Helaman 5, where he talks about having our rock be on the foundation of Christ. And um, it's so funny. It says that, uh, that you must build your foundation, that when the devil shall um, send forth his mighty winds, yea, his shafts in the whirlwind, and when he, um, his hail and his mighty storm shall beat upon you, that it will have no power to drag you down to the gulf of misery and endless woe. And so um, earlier in the scriptures, it talks about binding our testimonies to the rock. And so it's not just that we're there, that we're bound there so we don't slip off. And I thought the reason we slip off is because our foundations mm-hmm. are on something else. So I wanted to ask, what do you think binds you to the Savior? And of course, it's our covenants that bind us. Yeah. But what are other foundations that we're interested? Why do we slip off?
0: You know, I wanted to bring up another point that goes right along with this. Mm-hmm. And that is this idea of a welding link that is also brought up. Which in the, is the binding. Which is the which binding. Which will make you not slip off. Exactly. I love that. And, and in section 128, I love the fact that at the end of, of Joseph Smith's life, when he specifically focused on this idea of baptism for the dead and he's going understanding the endowment, that as as he does this, There is this psalm of joy. He is so excited to understand this idea of bringing the family of man together. And his view isn't just individual families. It's the entire family of man becoming welded together as we do those temple covenants, as we do baptism for the dead, that that becomes something that saves literally the world. And that's basically what he said. Wow.
1: So I'm just thinking what I just said about, you know, like when we went to the movies and I wanted to be in the middle. Right. It's like that's what binds us to Christ yeah. even mm-hmm. is that welding link that binds us to families. Yeah. Because it's through that loving families and through those other positive relationships that we get the support that holds us in place. So I do want to
0: just quickly read this from Joseph Smith. He says for their salvation is necessary and essential to our salvation, that they without us cannot be made perfect, neither can we without the dead be made perfect. And then he goes goes on and talks very specifically about the earth will be smitten with a curse unless there is a welding link of some kind or other between the fathers and the children upon this, this subject that he's talking about in terms of what happens in the temple But then I just love this, you know, the ending in verse 19 where he says, now what do we hear in the gospel which we have received? A voice of gladness. I mean, exclamation point. You know, a voice of mercy from heaven, a voice of truth out of the earth. And then it's also interesting in here because he also brings back Now what section are you in? I'm in section
1: 128.
0: It's one section 128. And so for me, that is such a powerful concept when you're talking about that foundation you know that foundation is the welding link that brings all of us together in Christ. I love that,
1: that binding to Christ is that welding link that is.
0: Now binding. I know we've talked so much about Peter, but how does Peter bring us back to the living prophets today?
2: So it's it's interesting because Peter does bring up about the word of prophecy. So we know that prophets prophets are the ones who speak prophecy. Let me just find where it is. Second Peter, um, he talks about. Um, living prophets in second Peter um, chapter one, starting in verse 16. So let me see where it is. Um, and so he says, and we have a more sure word of prophecy, or we have we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. as the day dawn and day star, um, uh, oh, I was looking up, it, mean, it means Christ and our faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so it's like until that, that faith kind of is, is planted in our hearts, we need to look towards the prophets. Um, and so it's really interesting because I was looking up in DNC and c 131.5, um, and it says, A more sure word of prophecy means a man's knowing that he is sealed unto eternal life. So it's again, it's all he i will say, for as much as you're saying he's not flowery and beautiful, he does in his messages kind of connect everything into one circle. He's great. He's great at circling everything. And did
1: you see that there's a Joseph Smith translation which just goes on to yours? Yeah, what you were saying Um, before.
2: Yeah, and he says, so so Peter says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. And Joseph Smith translation changes it and says, knowing this first that no prophecy of scriptures is given of any private will of man, so you can't tweak prophecy to do <laughs> what to you change want. it what you want. Right? And so that's why it's kind of all of these different versions of the Bible, and when you people are are saying the same uh, verse means all these different things, you're like, ah, you're all tweaking. You're all tweaking. It's your will, for not your own the will. Lord's will, right? Um, that's funny. And so, and then this last, in, in 21, he says, for the prophecy came not in in old time by the will of man, but by holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And it's just, it's, something just wells up in my heart when I'm like, these were prophets speaking of the Holy Ghost. And we have 15 prophets on the earth today that speak of the Holy Ghost. Um, and so it's just kind of, the Like, as you get a stronger testimony in the scriptures, how can you not have a stronger testimony of prophets today? Um, Spencer W. Kimball gave a talk on revelation, and he said, How this confused world of today needs revelation from God. With war, pestilence, and famine, with poverty, desolation, with more and more graft, dishonesty, and immorality, Certainly the people of this world need revelation from God as never before. How absurd it would be to think that the Lord would give to a small handful of people in Palestine, the old world, his precious direction through revelation. And now in our extremity, close the heavens. And I was just like, oh, that is so... Like poetic, we we've often talked about, which it probably isn't a good thing to talk about. Oh, if we were to leave the church, <laughs> where would we go if we self believe in God? And it was like, I don't know. The only other, the only other has the authority who has, and they don't even have prophets. But like, it, it's the, the Catholics with the Pope. But even then, it's not it's not new scripture. It's not new prophecy. And to believe that you have this loving heavenly Father who's not going to lead. Not just you personally, but you as a community is is a little crazy to me, um, and and I was thinking of this as is I feel like prophets are given at specific times because they they um, bring and talk about specific things. So lately, we've talked about this. President Nelson is so focused on the heart, and it makes me laugh that he's a heart surgeon and he's so <laughs> oh, focused definitely. on love. Yes, and and we've talked about how Peter is. He really does. Um, speak kind of hard words to these these early saints. But the
1: people are going through hard times. They're, they're going time. through, going through hard, hard times. And they need so to have that
2: vision, because if they don't have the vision, how are they going to, to stay, stay strong? Stay right? true. Um, and so it's just interesting to think about what we can get out of our prophets.
0: I agree. And I am so thankful for prophets today, but I'm also so thankful for Peter and his words. Yeah. And honestly, <clears throat> since we are going through difficult times, For me, the words of Peter ring true to my heart and help me understand how I can be more faithful and how I can do more to gain the divine nature that he talks about. So thank you so much for this great discussion today.
1: Thank you.